Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is my deep dive book review of EMF by Dr. Joseph Mercola. In this book review, I'm going to explain how and why you're being royally fucked by irresistibly convenient, invisible radiation. Excuse my French there. So you are definitely going to want to check out this book review. Check out the article that is linked below wherever you are listening to this podcast. In that article, I have links and references to all of the science that I'm going to discuss here. I link out to all of the preventative measures that you're going to want to consider. And in this article, I've also got a lot of cool diagrams and graphics that visualize all of what I'm going to be discussing here. So perhaps you've had some discussions and some debates about EMFs, Wi-Fi, and 5G with friends and family. This article with its uh, visuals is going to give you some ammunition to bring to bear in those debates. So let's get into it. You've probably heard before that the EMFs from smartphones, Wi-Fi, and blazing fast 5G networks are dangerous to your health. You've also probably heard that this is just a crazy conspiracy theory and that all this wireless radiation is fine. EMF thoroughly breaks down the real science on this controversial issue. It's the latest title from Dr. Mercola, who is a titan in the health freedom movement, which is what I'm all about. First of all, I want to address the quote-unquote skeptics first. So there might be some skeptics out there that are saying to themselves, wait a minute, Jonathan, cell phones causing brain cancer? Hasn't this notion been thoroughly debunked along with chemtrails and the flat earth movement? I defer to scientific authority on these kinds of matters. I believe in science. If it was really bad for us, if there was really a problem with the EMFs and all the Wi-Fi and the 5G, if this stuff was really bad for us, there would be credentialed scientists on the nightly news letting us know, warning us. Well, if you're a skeptic with those sorts of sentiments, first of all, I'd just like to thank you for even considering the arguments against EMFs and 5G. Too many people out there who think of themselves as uh, skeptical and rational just mindlessly accept what their television tells them to convince them to buy a product. And I want to make a couple of important points here. First of all, if you're a respecter of science, you should definitely read 
this book because it's full of science. It's a very thorough documentation of the significant body of science that underlies the EMF threat to our health. Second, unless you're an experienced scientist yourself, evaluate contentious issues, vaccines, climate change, etc., first with critical thinking about human nature and economic incentives, and then look at the science. I'm actually going to repeat that because it's a real important point. Unless you're an experienced scientist yourself, evaluate contentious issues first with critical thinking about human nature and economic incentives, and then look at the science. Here's why. Science is corruptible. Scientists are more like politicians than they are like priests. You're going to want to check out the podcast that I also did of the book Rigor Mortis, where I explain this a bit more in depth. And I do link to that podcast in the article. And this is because of the perverse incentives that of the, of the system that many of them have to operate in. You shouldn't place unquestioning faith in scientists. You can read scientific papers on PubMed, but understand that there is a huge, massive noise-to-signal, noise-versus-signal issue in science. The federal funding of science to the tune of $30 billion in the United States alone turns science into a very political game. Unfortunately, a lot of science is tantamount to a propaganda article published in Pravda, the Soviet Union's state-run newspaper. You'll need to be very adroit with science to differentiate between real science and propaganda masquerading as science. You'll need to read long, boring studies and pick out potential errors in their statistical analyses. And this all assumes that the scientists publishing a paper aren't simply lying and fabricating their data. Thirdly, industry funding of science is also problematic because corporations fund science to make money, not for the public good. You may not be able to scrutinize all the myriad data and evidence supporting a scientific claim, but you are capable of asking Que bono? Asking, who benefits here? If there are big, greedy corporations funding science, that will result in them profiting millions or billions of dollars. You should be very suspicious of that science. If there is science done by scientists who don't stand to gain much, that's a lot more credible. On almost any contentious science issue, you can ask which side is going to profit a vast 
fortune from winning this debate? And which side seems to just be more consumed, more, more concerned with human well-being? And then fourth, final point here, a lot of naive people think if something is really bad for us, then they would just tell us about it on the nightly news. Or naive people think that a simple Google search or a Wikipedia article will reveal the truth. Again, you have to think about the massive economic incentives. The mainstream media makes billions in advertising revenue from big telecom, as do Google and the rest of big tech. Wikipedia is a little more independent, but they enjoy a very privileged position with their articles appearing in the most authoritative position in Google searches. So Wikipedia is not going to allow articles critical of big telecom to achieve prominence. If you're still skeptical of the danger of EMFs, consider that, quote, the most consistent voice of reason has come from the scientific community. In 2015, 190 EMF scientists from 39 countries issued the International EMF Scientist Appeal to the United Nations calling for the WHO to adopt more protective exposure guidelines for non-ionizing electromagnetic fields, EMFs, in the face of increasing exposure from many sources. And that's from page 79 of the book, emf Here's why smartphones are the new, the new packs of cigarettes. The book begins with an apt comparison between smartphones and cigarettes. Quote, although the tobacco industry managed to escape liability and major regulation for more than four decades, eventually its stranglehold on the American public came to an end. It seems that the wireless industry has carefully studied the strategies the tobacco companies used to deny the health risks associated with their products for more than 50 years. Sadly, smoking and cell phones have more in common than their popularity. They also share the fact that they are each an enormous threat to individual and public health. The danger of cell phones doesn't come from the cell phones themselves, but from their electromagnetic fields, otherwise known as EMFs. These EMFs have demonstrable negative physiological effects, but very few people fully grasp this. We have been lulled into a false sense of security by an industry that is going to great lengths to keep us in the dark, just like in the early days of smoking. And this I found amazing. The trillion-fold 
that's right, trillionfold with a T increase in EMFs. Quote, the truth is we are exposed to one billion more EMFs now than we were just 100 years ago. In case you were wondering, a billion billion is 10 with 18 zeros. Wow, that's a lot. Your body was never designed to be exposed to these levels of EMFs. It takes thousands and thousands of years for evolution to do its work and for humans to adapt to changing environments. 100 years in evolutionary terms is not even a tiny fraction of the time required to adapt to this type of exponential change. Thus, it is perfectly reasonable to suspect that there will be some health consequences from persistent exposure to this level of radiation. Here's why EMFs are dangerous, and I've got a real cool diagram to go with this. Quote, the broad strokes of how EMFs do damage is that they release excess calcium into your cells, which then initiates a cascade of molecular events that ultimately result in an increase in free radicals. These highly reactive molecules then proceed to travel and do damage to your cell membranes, proteins, mitochondria, and stem cells. And not only your mitochondrial, but also your nuclear DNA. Part of the reason why EMFs are so dangerous is that like x-rays, they are invisible, silent, and odorless. Unless you are EMF hypersensitive, you won't see, feel, or hear your EMF exposures. It's, e it's, it's very easy to convince people that pollution, sharks, or even falling coconuts are dangerous because we see them, whereas EMF radiation is invisible. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Encourage your EMF brainwashed friends and family to go watch the excellent HBO series, the recent series that they did on Chernobyl, to remind them that invisible radiation can and does kill. Let's talk about EMFs versus mental health. Mental health is at an all-time low while EMFs are at an all-time high. Do you think that's a coincidence? Quote, another vital part of your body that has a high density of VGCCs and thus a significant vulnerability to EMFs is your brain. But exposure to electromagnetic fields can affect your brain in other ways that are far more common, including mental health challenges, which have become pervasive and epidemic, such as anxiety, depression, hostility, and difficulty concentrating. A 2011 study found that high 
mobile phone use among adolescents led to increases in stress, sleep disturbance, and depression. Even U.S. government reports validate the link between EMF exposure and mental performance and health. Three government reports have listed multiple neuropsychiatric effects. Let's talk about EMFs and infectious bacteria. It appears that cell phone and Wi-Fi signals could play a role in certain types of bacteria. In the case of this study, E. coli and Listeria became resistant to antibiotic treatment. Let's talk about EMFs and autism. A number of researchers have found EMFs are quite capable of contributing to autism spectrum disorder too. Martin Paul, whose work elucidated the molecular mechanism of how EMFs damage you, suggests that the dramatic rise in autism rates is probably caused by EMF exposure. And that would make sense. Back in the day, when we had almost no EMFs, when the EMFs were, you know, a trillionfold less than what they are now, autism was almost non-existent, right? EMFs and leaky gut. Similar to how EMFs degrade your blood-brain barrier, they also weaken the integrity of another important barrier, your intestine. EMFs weaken the tight junctions between the cells that line your intestinal tract, creating a condition known as leaky gut. EMFs versus infertility. In fact, at least six meta-analyses that evaluated more than 200 separate studies have determined that cell phone radiation is indeed significantly harmful to sperm. If the reduction in fertility rates is a result of EMF, EMF exposure continues to increase as it very well could with the introduction of the 5G experiment, EMFs could serve as a potent existential threat to the very existence of our species. Not only will we have an impaired ability to reproduce, but the children conceived at this time will face the very real, vastly unknown risk of the illnesses outlined in this chapter, as well as autism. EMFs and heavy metals. The research of Dr. Yoshaki Omura, a prolific medical researcher and educator and member of the Alumni Council of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Columbia University, shows that the more your system is contaminated with heavy metals due to things like having silver amalgam fillings, eating contaminated fish, living downstream from coal-burning power plants, and so forth, the more your body becomes a virtual antenna that concentrates radiation, making it far more 
destructive. Toxic heavy metals and EMFs are a match made in hell. You'll want to check out the review. I also did a podcast of the book Food Forensics by Mike Adams. And in that podcast, I break down the steps that really all of us should take to to chelate ourselves, to detox heavy metals, especially more relevant as we are just exposed to more and more of the EMFs. And finally, I want to mention EMFs and honeybee colony collapse. You've probably heard of this. There was an excellent documentary film that a lot of us saw about it. And I will, in fact, link to that documentary in this article so you can go and check it out again. Quote, EMFs are believed to have a major role in colony collapse disorder, the widespread collapse of bee colonies around the world. You may find it damn near impossible to convince people that their seductively convenient smartphones, Wi-Fi, and 5G are hurting their health, but they'll find it a whole lot more plausible that all this radiation is hurting the fragile little bees that we rely on for much of our food. And so you can ask them, should we xenocide the honeybees with global 5G because you want faster internet? Or can we maybe let the honeybees survive and you can wait the extra three minutes that it takes to download a movie? Next, let's talk about why EMFs equal DNA damage. And I've got another cool diagram to illustrate this. Quote, ionizing radiation can also cause DNA damage. This is an undisputed fact and explains why anytime you have ever gotten an x-ray, which is a form of ionizing radiation, you have likely been given a protective lead apron to cover your torso and shield your organs, your organs from exposure. One of the most concerning aspects of this process is when the ionizing radiation passes through the nucleus of your cells, where most of your DNA is stored. It has enough energy to directly break some of the covalent bonds in your DNA. This is the way that ionizing radiation causes genetic damage, which can lead to cell death or cancer. Non-ionizing radiation from your wireless devices actually creates carbonyl-free radicals instead of the hydroxyl radicals that ionizing radiation gives rise to. That cause virtually identical damage to your nuclear DNA cell membranes, proteins, mitochondria, and stem cells. And this point kind of gets to the crux of some of the debate that goes on around this 
issue where people will say, well, you know, the cell phones, the 5G, the Wi-Fi, all that stuff is fine because it's non-ionizing. It's no problemo. And in fact, the non-ionizing itself does cause the free radicals that can do a lot of damage. The German EMF researcher Franz Adikofer used a cornet assay, which is a very sensitive test for DNA damage in a 2008 study. He found that very low intensity EMF exposure at a 1.8 gigahertz produced large numbers of DNA breaks. It actually produced more DNA damage than 1,600 chest x-rays. Wow, that's amazing. I think I've had maybe one or two chest x-rays in my entire life. So cell phones cause cancer. I'll break down why. A division of the World Health Organization began a 10-year, $30 million, 13-country interphone study that looked specifically at the effects of the radiation emitted by cell phones and its potential role in the development of brain cancer. When the interphone study results were finally released, years behind schedule, they appeared inconclusive. They found no overall increased risk of brain tumors for cell phone users, something that most of the mainstream press latched onto when reporting the findings. However, the study group did acknowledge that heavy users, quote-unquote heavy users, of cell phones had an approximately 80% increased risk of glioma, a life-threatening and often fatal brain tumor after 10 years of cell phone use. And what was the definition of a heavy cell phone user? It was two hours per month. So you have to ask yourself, do you use your cell phone for more or less than two hours per month? Well, that really kind of changes the conclusion that we can reach as a result of this $30 million, 10-year study, doesn't it? Okay, they found that tumors were most likely to form in the area of the brain closest to where the cell phone rests while on a call, and that risks of developing malignant brain tumors spiked in association with three risk factors, and that's the number of years of total use, total number of hours of use, and age at first use. And then a 2016 meta-analysis of 42 studies that included more than 13,000 women with cases of breast cancer found that exposure to ELF, EMFs, is associated with breast cancer, especially in the United States. The first step to mitigating this risk that we can all take is to use headphones 
or the speakerphone function on our cell phones for calls over a few minutes long instead of just holding the phone up to your ear. I think about in the past, I would make a lot of phone calls while I was driving around in my car and I would do the thing where I would just put my, I would just jostle my phone in between my ear and my shoulder. I would just hold my shoulder kind of up to my ear and I would have my phone just kind of tucked in there while I was talking to people and, and driving. And I was uh, at increased risk for not only brain cancer, but also a horrific car accident, I'm sure. So just get in the habit of using headphones, of plugging in those little headphones into your phone and then doing your phone calls that way. And since I've been reading this book, I have uh, effectively trained my wife to do this because she used to carry on these long uh, phone calls for hours and hours and hours talking to her friends, just holding her phone up to her head. But she has switched over to using the earphones instead. And I am very happy about that. It's something we can all do. Next, let's talk about EMF overdose symptoms. The two most common telltale signs that you're getting blasted with too much EMF radiation are tinnitus and problems sleeping. The book explains, interestingly, humming or ringing in the ears is one of the most common symptoms of those who are impaired by or suffer with EMF hypersensitivity. Ears appear to be highly susceptible to the influence of EMFs, and thus they can be early indicators of EMF damage, sort of the canary in the coal mine. One of the most common symptoms reported by people who are experiencing a new EMF exposure is insomnia. So if you're a person suffering with chronic insomnia, chronic bad sleep, you really want to think a bit about your Wi-Fi. You want to think a bit about your smartphone and all those EMFs that you are bathed in. And the issue with the tinnitus, which I'm getting the impression that essentially the tinnitus is kind of you hearing the EMFs and tinnitus is really not pleasant. And this makes me think of dogs. A lot of people have dogs that we love and our dogs live with us in our houses. And dogs, of course, have very, very sensitive hearing. So if a lot of people out there are experiencing tinnitus as a result of EMFs, you can just imagine all the dogs and pets that are out there that are suffering, that have, you know, no idea why there is this ubiquitous, annoying ringing, right? So, you know, have a little bit of compassion on our furry friends out there. Let's talk about smartphones versus working memory. Quote, you don't even need to be interacting with your phone for it to negatively impact your ability to focus. A 2017 study published in the Journal for the Association of Consumer Research found that students performed worse on tests 
of memory and attention when their smartphones were near them. Even though the phones were set too silent than if their phones were outside the room. The researchers theorized that the more dependent you are on your smartphone, the more working memory it takes up, even when you're not directly interacting with it. And of course, working memory is a really big deal. You want as much working memory as possible. All of your problem-solving abilities rely fundamentally on your working memory, on your executive function, which just having your smartphone sitting on the table, having your smartphone around you all the time, it's, it's hitting that, it sounds like. And the best way to enhance your working memory is to train it with the dual and back brain game. There's some really good evidence for this that I break down in a video that I did about dual and back, which I do link to in this article. So you're going to want to go check that out. Next, let's look at the 5G question. Quote, 5G will, will require new technologies to transmit and receive signals. This means we are about to experience an explosion in new antennas. And all the signals from all of these additional antennas and base stations will be layered on top of the EMF swamp that we are already swimming in. The difference between 4G and 5G is the equivalent of the difference between a mountain stream of EMF exposure and a vast ocean of it. The book explains the real motivation behind the 5G rollout. Quote, then what's the real purpose of 5G. This massive build-out of small cell wireless infrastructure is to enable telecom companies to beam their signals into homes and apartments without having to install a cable. It's that simple. Maintaining the cabled internet infrastructure is a lot of work. Think about your encounters with cable guys. You call your telecom company and they send a grumpy guy out to your house that installs or fixes your cables. With 5G, the telecom companies get to fire almost all of those guys and just beam the internet into our homes. It's going to be slightly more convenient for us and massively profitable for them. Quote, 5G will produce 12.4 trillion in global economic output by the year 2035 and produce as many as 22 million jobs. Although I would contend that it's going to cost probably a lot of jobs in the long term, probably much, much more jobs on balance. Once 5G is up and running, it is predicted to produce $250 billion annually by 2025. 
just for providing the service. Dr. Mercola concludes, at its root, 5G is about ushering in a new era of computer-assisted living, as well as what's already being touted as the fourth industrial revolution, as every part of manufacturing will be impacted by the adoption of smart technologies. And this is just so stupid, in my view. During a time of falling global IQ, while people, while the human population on whole collectively is getting stupider, and I explained this in my really thorough book review and podcast that I linked to of uh, the book At Our Wits End. And this is a really well-researched, well-written book that explains why we are essentially living in an era of idiocracy. If you remember that movie, that great comedy movie, where the human race becomes really stupid because of all the things that are going on right now. So in this in this book, I explain that in this, it, it's so stupid to have a fourth industrial revolution, which is killing all, all of these jobs that people with, say, a 100 or a 90 IQ can do. It's so stupid to have a fourth industrial revolution, which is going to kill all those jobs and create less jobs that only people that have, say, a 120 IQ can do. You know, while during this period where, while we are kind of going into a, a dark age of decreasing IQ, the elites are pushing madly towards massive technological unemployment. It's a recipe for global civilizational disaster. And I delve into that further in that book review. So do check it out. Quote, as FCC Chairman Ajit Pai said in a September 2018 press conference to announce the FCC's 5G fast plan. Again, these people, they want to go fast with this. He said, we cannot let today's red tape strangle the 5G future. And Dr. Martin Paul said, putting in tens of millions of 5G antenna without a single biological test of safety has to be about the stupidest idea that anyone has ever had in the history of the world. Some places and countries are not on board with big telecoms plan for 5G global domination. Unsurprisingly, Switzerland and Russia, two countries that aren't perfect, but it seems actually give a damn about their citizens, they are the ones rejecting 5G. Next, let's talk about institutional betrayal. The story of how we got to this point is a story of catastrophic betrayal on behalf of science, academia, and government regulators. From the book, 
U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut said, the stark fact is the health hazards are unknown and unstudied, and that is a sign of neglect and disregard on the part of the Federal Communications Commission that seems unacceptable. We're kind of flying blind here as far as health and safety is concerned. Take 2018, for example, when AT&T spent 18 million, Verizon spent 12 million, NCTA spent 13 million, and CTIA spent 9 million. Consider this is only one year. That's in 2018 alone. Overall, the communications electronics sector is one of Washington's super heavyweight lobbyists. The wireless industry has spun a web that embraces Congress, congressional oversight committees, and Washington social life. The network ties the public sector to the private through a frictionless revolving door. Really, no door at all. Typically, Government agencies rely on the research community to produce findings that they then merely evaluate to determine regulatory action. And guess who is funding much of the research that determines product safety regulations? That's right, the industries who manufacture the products. So the regulating agencies are, of course, captured. Let's talk about science as marketing. By paying scientists directly to perform studies, the industry could hand-select researchers who were already biased towards believing that cigarettes were safe. So this is going back in time a bit. By doing so, tobacco companies also created conflicts of interest, as even impartial researchers can be influenced by the desire to keep their funders happy. Yet, we know that when a company funds research into its own products, it creates a powerful conflict of interest that distorts findings in favor of whomever financed the study. Throughout the late 1990s and early 2000s, the industry gave Carlo, this was a lobbyist, $27 million in funds to pay for research evaluating the health risks of EMFs. And hundreds of conflicted studies were produced during that time. Ironically, over the course of this initiative, Carlo became disillusioned. In 2017, he admitted in a paper that, quote, the industry st strategy has been to fund low-risk studies that assure a positive result, then use them to convince the media and the public that cell phones have been proven to be safe, even though the actual science proved nothing of the sort. So Carlo grew a conscience, apparently. I wonder if he uh, 
found religion or did an ayahuasca trip. I wonder what it was that, you know, convinced him to uh, give up the big bucks and speak a little bit of truth. Bet there's an interesting story there. Hey, maybe I could get him on a podcast interview if, uh, you know, if uh, perhaps his uh, self-driving car has not driven him into a guardrail at 90 miles an hour. Tragically, tragically. Uh, Carlos should uh, take out a large insurance policy, I imagine. Okay, back to the book. One way industry-funded studies of EMFs are problematic from the outset is that they use simulated EMF exposures instead of real cell phones, which is just crazy, right? You would think they would use the real cell phones. They do this under the justification of seeking to control variables. But the reality is that a simulated cell phone is far safer than a real cell phone. Ultimately, by making science fair game in the battle of public relations, the tobacco industry set a destructive precedent that would affect future debates on subjects such as food, global warming, pharmaceuticals, and yes, EMFs. This egregious institutional betrayal of the public has a cost to all of us that is not discussed in the book. And I would term this cost the death of consensus reality. To have a functional society or civilization, there needs to be some shared values and beliefs. So almost everybody in the society or the civilization has to believe, for example, that they have to believe in God. They have to believe that stealing is wrong or that almost everybody has to believe that human life has value. Just a few examples. And, you know, in a decent functional society, people that were really far outside of the shared values and shared beliefs, well, they would end up being kind of ostracized or they would perhaps even end up in jail. Without a lot of shared beliefs, it just becomes impossible for a society to work. Things get tribal and brutal without consensus reality. My God told me in a dream last night that I can kidnap your daughter and make her my sex slave. What are you going to do about it? These are the types, uh, this is the type of tribalism. This is the type of superstitious irrationality that arises when a society, a country, a civilization loses the consensus reality. It's really not good. And I will quote from my article that goes a little bit deeper philosophically into this. The article was entitled, Doubt the Devil, Doubt Everything. In the past 50 years or so, we've seen a great secularization of the intelligentsia of society. Increasingly, those heading the most prestigious of institutions are non-practicing or non-religious. 
I've been very religious and very secular in my life, and it does change your mindset. I'll contend that secular institutions are much more susceptible to corruption because as a secular person, there's no real downside to corruption and cheating as long as you get away with it. Secular institutions will inevitably devolve into a Darwinian ends justifies the means struggle for resources, power, and prestige. Genuinely religious people have a very different kind of motivation. They seriously believe that they will face judgment in the afterlife for their misdeeds in this life. Sure, there's plenty of religious people that have done bad things, but if you've known as many religious people as I have and an equal amount of secular people, you know that there's a big difference in trustworthiness. Religious people believe either metaphorically or literally that the devil is at their door knocking. They are fearful and, importantly, avoidant of temptation that will lead them to greater sin. Unprecedented numbers of people now believe in the flat earth or that we never went to the moon. You'll want to see my podcast where I comment on that. For example, and unprecedented number of people now believe these sorts of things because bad science and corrupt institutions have broken the public's trust too many times because they want to make a buck. Humpty Dumpty cannot be put back together again. We're now reaching the point where significant swaths of the population, especially in America, just don't believe and would actually oppose, perhaps violently, the official line coming out of the government or scientific authorities. This is an untenable state of things. The elites in science and government should look themselves in the mirror and take responsibility for breaking consensus reality. But they probably can't even see their own reflections. Moving on, I'll break down the EMF protection life hacks. So there's a lot of bad news up to this point, but there's some good news, which is that there are a few ways to mitigate and manage the toxicity of EMFs. I'm not asking you to repent from your sinful smartphone usage or uh, swear to never use Wi-Fi again, unless you go resettle in the absolute middle of nowhere and live as a disconnected hermit, it wouldn't help that much because we are surrounded by other people using smartphones and most of the buildings where we spend our lives are flush with Wi-Fi. So, 
My wife once told me, Jonathan, you know you shouldn't eat before bedtime. And I sort of shrugged it off because for years, I've been doing a little snacking before bedtime. Nothing egregiously unhealthy, usually some organic crackers with tasty pesto or sesame tahini. And I've always had a very lean physique. It didn't seem to result in me gaining much weight. I do regular intermittent fasting. I don't eat anything until I have a late lunch in the afternoon. So I figured that the snacking was fine. I thought that don't eat before bedtime was one of these oversimplified health tips like salt is bad for you that came out of the crappy mainstream nutrition science of the 80s and 90s. Well, it turns out that my wife was right. She's a smart lady. She has some real good instincts. EMF explains why it's especially good advice to refrain from eating for two, for three to four hours before bed. Give it three to four hours. Here's why. Fortunately, our bodies have a system to repair damaged DNA, and it is called the poly-ADP ribose polymerase or PARP. We'll just call it PARP from now on. And without the PARP system, you would have died of cancer by now because it goes and repairs your DNA that is getting damaged all the time by all sorts of things. When EMFs or radiation from a leaky old microwave hit your DNA, it's the PARP system that comes along and repairs it. And I've got a cool diagram of this in the article. But importantly, PARP needs fuel to do its thing. And that would be the NADPH molecule, which is downstream of the well-known NAD plus molecule. The book explains if you eat a large meal close to your bedtime, there is simply no way for your body to burn those calories as energy. So it must store the calories by creating fat. This process consumes enormous amounts of NAD pH. With your NAD pH levels lowered this way, you will be unable to keep your antioxidants optimally recharged while you sleep. As a result, you will have far more oxidative damage from the free radicals that can't be neutralized due to low NAD pH levels than if you had eaten those calories earlier in the day. So eating before bed costs NADPH that could be used to repair DNA damage. But your metabolism is first in line to use the NADPH. Evolution didn't predict that we would have wireless Bluetooth smartwatches and Alexa devices. So often there's not enough gas 
left in the tank for PARP to repair our DNA nightly. If you righteously bang your wife like I do, she, she deserves it for all these good little health tips that she gives me. Or if you are doing something else that burns a lot of calories right before sleep, it might be okay to indulge in some late night snacking. But if you're just going to lounge around and watch TV, as most people do, your body has to put those calories into storage, converting them into fat, costing NADPH. A little fat isn't going to kill you or make you fat as it didn't with me. But if you're concerned with EMF toxicity and you don't want to give up the convenience of all those marvelous wireless gadgets, it's smart to give up late night snacking. Eat a filling dinner at like 8 p.m. and then go to bed at midnight. Next life hack is to turn off your Wi-Fi at night. The next impactful life hack that doesn't require any sacrifice is turning off your Wi-Fi router at night, especially if your Wi-Fi router is in your bedroom. You are being irradiated by it all night as you sleep, and that's the one time of the day that you definitely don't need internet access. If you sleep for about eight hours at night and turn off your Wi-Fi, you cut down your EMF irradiation from the Wi-Fi by at least 33%. More if you turn off your Wi-Fi a little before bed, as I do. I recommend doing an internet fast for at least an hour before bed. During your internet fast, you want to do some things that are just a little bit lower stimulation so that you can get your nervous system turned down just a bit more so that you can get some really great quality sleep. So for that hour, you're going to want to do things like reading or meditation or having a conversation or righteously banging your wife. The book explains how this helps PARP function. Quote, minimizing your EMF exposure can radically increase your NAD plus levels because when you're exposed to EMFs and your DNA strands break, PARP uses between 150 to 200 molecules of NAD plus in an effort to repair that damage. You'll also probably notice that you sleep better with your Wi-Fi off, as insomnia is one of the most common effects of EMF irradiation. The life hack for this is to connect a power outlet timer to your Wi-Fi that just cuts it off at 11 p.m., or whenever, and you could install an app that automatically puts your phone in airplane mode at the same 
time. I don't have one of these, so I just switch off the power router connected to my Wi-Fi router and my laptop when I'm done working in the evening. So by all means, in the evening, turn off your Wi-Fi and turn on your Wi-Fi as I do. Next, let's talk about supplementing NAD+. The next crucial biohack for fortifying your biology against EMFs is to feed your PARP system extra fuel. Supplement a bioavailable source of NAD+, which your body converts into much-needed NADPH from the book. EMF exposure can cause your cells to become NAD plus depleted. PARP is ordinarily the largest consumer of NAD plus in your body. And if you have a large EMF exposure, you can radically reduce your NAD plus levels. And when your cells become NAD plus depleted, it also impacts your mitochondria by lowering an NAD coenzyme called NADH, which is necessary for your mitochondria to produce ATP. Another consequence of PARP sucking up most of your NAD plus is that it depletes the supply for other vital longevity proteins called sirtuins that require NAD plus to function. If PARP is consuming most of your NAD plus, your sirtuins will not have enough NAD plus to run and your aging will be accelerated dramatically. So not only does your DNA repair system gets screwed by EMFs, your sirtuins, the light switches of the genomes, do too. Unless you want to give up technology, you need extra NAD plus in your system. Supplementing NAD plus itself must be done via injection at a special clinic which runs about $600. But fortunately, several precursor supplements are well-studied, affordable, and safe. First of all, vitamin B3, also called niacin, is a cheap supplement, but many steps removed from the NAD plus molecule. You get less NAD plus bang for your buck from niacin and it causes a skin flush, which many dislike. According to the book, though, as little as 25 milligrams daily is an effective preventative measure, and the non-time-released niacin is better. Secondly, nicotinamide riboside is two steps removed from NAD+. It's well-studied and demonstrated to boost NAD plus in clinical trials. And then thirdly, NMN. This is nicotinamide mononucleotide. This stuff is one step removed from NAD plus. So it's more bioavailable and activates the sirtuin SIRT3 while 
NR, the nicotinamide riboside, does not. NMN is pricier, but I think the best option at the NAD plus supplementation gas station. And the NR and the NMN are mentioned in the book itself. I'm going to do some experimentation with the vitamin B3 with the niacin. I want to see if the 25 milligrams that Dr. Merkula talks about of niacin produces that unpleasant skin flush. If a smaller amount doesn't have that effect, then I think it's actually a pretty good option, especially for people that just can't afford NMN as it is definitely pricier. And vitamin B3 slash niacin has the advantage of being available almost everywhere. Even here in Bulgaria, I have seen niacin at a number of pharmacies, whereas NMN is pretty tricky to get my hands on in, in, a, in a lot of places. If you live in the United States, if you live in a quote-unquote first world Western country, you'll probably be able to pick it off pick it up off Amazon with no problem, but other places, niacin might be a better option. In the article, I do link to the best source of NMN that I have identified. With something like NMN, because it is pricier, you really want to make sure that you're getting the real thing. You really want to make sure that you're getting pure NMN, and I have identified a source that does proper spectroscopy testing, quality assurance testing for the purity of their NMN. And importantly, it is done at an accredited American laboratory. If you're going to be spending this kind of money on supplements, you really want to demand a COA that is done by an accredited American laboratory to make sure that you're getting the real thing. Moving on, I'll mention supplementing molecular hydrogen. And this is a supplement that has a powerful antioxidant effect counteracting the reactive oxygen species that are overproduced as a result of EMFs. Dr. Mercola speaks very highly of it. The next supplement worth mentioning is something that we're already well acquainted with, magnesium. There is one more supplement strategy to address EMF damage that can be effective to block excessive calcium channel activation. Magnesium can help with this. Magnesium is the fourth most abundant mineral in your body after calcium, potassium, and sodium. It activates more than 600 enzymes and is an important cofactor for the activation of a wide range of transporters and enzymes. And something else that I'm eager to try is blood flow restriction training exercise. Dr. Mercola describes it. If you fail to exercise regularly as you age and grow old, not only will your NAD plus levels drop, but your nicotinamide precursor levels will rise. High levels of nicotinamide, in turn, will inhibit the sirtuin longevity proteins. 
So you should engage in some type of daily exercise and seriously consider blood flow restriction training that he describes a little more. Blood flow restriction training that allows the use of low weights and high repetitions to produce incredible metabolic benefits, including NAMPT activation. It is my absolute favorite way to increase NAD+. Not only will it increase NAD+, but it will also prevent and treat sarcopenia or age-related muscle loss and osteoporosis. And I link to a more in-depth video that Dr. Mercola did on his own YouTube channel about it. The blood flow restriction training seems like a real smart idea that the sapient biohacker will want to just make a regular part of their life. Next life hack, you want to keep some distance from your phone. Quote, if you have a cell phone signal, even if you aren't using your phone at that moment or don't even have a cell phone, you are being exposed to radiation. When you begin using the phone and hold it close to your body, you are being exposed even more. So make a bit of an effort to keep your smartphone, if it's not in airplane mode, to keep it on the other side of your desk. Or if you're sitting at a table eating and you're not using your phone, try to keep your phone on the other side of the table. A tablet tip. Unlike computers, these devices, tablets, are often held just inches from a user's face, where the radiation exposure is exponentially higher than when it's an arm's length away, as with a desktop or laptop computer. Now I turn off the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on my iPad while I'm using it. Most content like Kindle books that you want to read on your tablet, you can download and then consume with the Wi-Fi off. And there's probably some of you out there that read my articles on Medium. So it might actually justify paying for the medium uh, premium service, I think it's maybe $50 a year or something like that, go and pay for that service because then you can download my articles. I don't know why you would wanna read anyone else's articles on Medium. You can download my articles to your device and then just switch off your Wi-Fi and enjoy those at your leisure EMF free. When I watch videos on my iPad, I place it on my desk a little ways away from me. It's really not a great idea to be binging on YouTube or Netflix on your tablet and holding it right up close to your face. You know, try to, when you're streaming video, try to put it on your desk or on a table a little ways away from you. Next radiation life hack is to get rid of your microwave. Older microwaves, especially the older ones, leak a lot of radiation into our homes. Apparently, the hack for figuring out if your microwave is leaky is to get an old FM radio. Hold it next to 
the microwave while it's on and listen if the radio signal gets disrupted by the radiation. A convection, which of course, if it's disrupted a lot, then that would indicate that it's projecting a lot of radiation out into your kitchen and into you and your dog and your kid there in your kitchen, which of course also just makes you think, well, you know, great, all of this problematic radiation is irradiating my food and then I'm putting it in my body. Hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. A convection oven is a better way to warm up your food. On a survivalist prepper podcast, and I forget which one, I heard a better use of a microwave, because you probably got a microwave in your in your kitchen, which is that microwaves block EMP, electromagnetic pulse waves. So you would want to get a smartphone or a tablet that you don't need and then load it up with all of the books and digitized human knowledge that you want to preserve and then you place it in your microwave, close the door importantly, and then leave your microwave in your basement or crawl space or wherever in the event that like North Korea decides to set off a nuke in orbit above your country or in the event that a catastrophic coronal mass ejection event happens and it wipes out our technological civilization and then you'll be sitting pretty there with all of the books and all of the knowledge that you might need with your smartphone or your tablet working. You'll, you know, become a, uh, like a knowledgeable, wizened elder in the uh, post-collapse world where everybody else is sword fighting or, and, you know, there's, uh, t there's all sorts of craziness going on in the world. You'll be like the smart guy that has all the answers that can uh, treat people, that can uh, tell people how to heal, you know, their uh, infections that they get from their, their sword fights. It's, it's a good idea. I think I'll try to do that with, uh, with, our, with our microwave. We're, we're not big fans of microwaving things. And I can just uh, use one of my old smartphones and leave my, mar my microwave there in my, uh, prepper, my prepper bunker in the attic where I keep all of that stuff. Next, let's talk about EMF detecting meters. If you want to take your EMF mitigation to the next level, Dr. Mercola highly recommends getting an RF meter that detects them so you can see just how serious your problem is. If I was buying a home or renting an apartment that my family was going to live in for years, I would invest the few hundred bucks to get a meter and make sure that I wasn't moving into a really toxic place. You know, if you're going to spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars on a place that you're going to live or you're going to be paying rent every month to live in a place for years and years and years, you want to make sure that it's not really toxic and your realtor is not going to help you with this. So that's why I link to in this article, 
I link to the, the EMF meter that the appendix of the book indicated was, was the best option for lay people. I also learned from the book that in sealing radiant electric heating systems, which are very common in apartments and condos, can be extremely detrimental to your health. If you suffer from mysterious health issues, it's worthwhile to measure the EMFs in your home and see if it's off the charts. And page 180 of the book included a helpful table for, for seeing just what the danger thresholds are to look out for in your measurements. So the book kind of gives us all good reason not to live in apartments or condos. When I have a private biohacking clients and I'm doing my private Skype consultations with them, they will often be describing to me these uh, health problems that they just can't seem to get over. And one of the first questions that I ask them about is, did these things arise when you moved into a new apartment? And do you ever get to go on vacation? And when you go on vacation and get away from the place that you normally spend all your time, is there some change in these health problems? And a lot of times there is. So it's one of those things that you want to think about if you or a loved one has some annoying health problem that they've tried everything for and just can't get much relief from. Moving towards the end of my review of this great book here, I need to point out a little bit of an objection, perhaps. Dr. Mercola's recommendations in the book get a little extreme. EMFs are so ubiquitous in modernity that you would have to take, you would have to make some really impractical lifestyle changes to eliminate your EMF exposure. For example, Dr. Mercola urges people to keep their smartphones in airplane mode at all times, along with avoiding carrying our phones in our pockets or even making calls, which kind of defeats the purpose of even having a smartphone. He urges people to exercise like a demonic presence, Wi-Fi from their homes and to protect our homes from outside EMFs, we need to implement a number of costly interventions like installing dirty electricity filters on all wall power outlets, which seems like a really good idea, but it would certainly get expensive considering all of the wall power outlets that you've got in your home. He talks about things like setting up a Faraday cage in our bedroom or painting our walls with EMF blocking paint. If you're a person who is EMF hypersensitive, then these are all things that you would probably want to do. Or if you just have got a lot of time and a lot of money on your hands, these are great ideas. But in a lot of ways, out of you know, out of the budget and out of the practical implementation range of most people. I, I also learned that you can buy 
EMF blocking burkas, amongst other clothing. There's there's EMF blocking clothing apparently, but I just found it amusing that there's EMF blocking burkas. So if I ever convert to Islam, you know, hypothetically, if I convert to Islam and then I could decide to identify as a woman and then I could wear one of those and then I'd be pretty effectively shielded from all of these these EMFs. But, you know, then I would run kind of the risk of being thrown off a building. So probably not a probably not the best option. <laughs> what I can implement is turning off my Wi-Fi at night. And in the future, when I live in my own home that isn't reached by my neighbor's Wi-Fi signals, I'd seriously consider keeping my Wi-Fi off for most of the day and using the internet just by plugging our computers into ethernet. That's a much safer, much less EMF toxic options. I can see how not having Wi-Fi in the home would be conducive to our family values because it's all too easy for young kids to become internet to become internet addicts at like age five when there's Wi-Fi and everybody in the home is using their smartphones and tablets all the time. And I also might consider giving up using the Bluetooth headphones that I love. You can see me in different podcasts wearing these really cool looking red Bluetooth headphones that are just super comfortable and great sound, but it's just another EMF that I have to deal with very nearby my head. So I think I might stop using those. Okay, here's my conclusion on the book. Frankly, I don't think I'm going to stop using my smartphone or Wi-Fi despite all the good reasons to do so that the book gives. As long as everyone around me is using smartphones and Wi-Fi, it's not worth the significant convenience cost. You're probably not going to give up your smartphone and Wi-Fi either. So I urge you to implement all the anti-cancer and DNA maintenance type hacks that you can. You would want to supplement NAD+. And like I said, I think NMN is the best option, although niacin is a decent option for uh, people who are balling on a budget who can't afford the NMN, you would want to take C60 in olive oil, which has a really powerful anti-cancer effect. Go and check out the podcast and really cool infographic that I made all about C60. You would want to do a session or two daily of red light therapy, feeding your mitochondria the specific medicinal wavelengths of red light that they need to keep you cancer-free. You want to fast regularly. You want to do intermittent intermittent fasting daily, and along with frequent 24-hour fasts. A lot of the really serious biohackers out there, a lot of the people that really give a damn about their health, will do a 24-hour fast 
once weekly, which is going to be a little bit of suffering that's going to instill a bit more stoicism in your character, in your mindset. But it's really not that bad. And it will, of course, save you some money on food if you take a day off eating once a week, right? And you're also going to want to biohack your immune system, which is your first line of defense against cancer. You're going to want to take adaptogenic herbs like schisandra. Check out my recent review. I did a real, I, I did a very witty, a very, uh, a very witty, very cheeky biohacker review of the herb schisandra and the beneficial effects that it has uh, for people that might be concerned about EMF toxicity, along with crucial immune nutrients and vitamins. So you're going to want to be taking things like magnesium, vitamin D, and glutathione. These are things that keep your immune system really on the level so that it can so that it can deal with the significant cancer risks that really all of us face. Continuing to use your smartphone and Wi-Fi, knowing what you know now is like a smoker who continues to smoke just hoping that they will never get cancer. I'd urge you to listen to my interviews with JT, who has battled cancer for six years. Boy, that is a guy that has been through a lot of suffering. And you're also going to want to listen to my interview with Mark Sloan, author and researcher. And these guys will really teach you some things about cancer. Cancer will ruin or take your life, especially if you subject yourself to the tortuous slash burn and poison mainstream and very, very expensive cancer treatments. The American Cancer, so cancer Society, which is kind of the authority, predicts that half of us will get cancer one day. It really does threaten your life and well-being. So finally, I just got to say that we are all being royally fucked by big telecom and their whores in the institutions of government and science with this nonstop barrage of toxic EMFs. And investing in our own anti-fragility is our only hope. That's my book review of emf I hope it wasn't too dark and depressing of a of a painting that I've that I've uh, made of our of our future together on this planet with EMFs. I hope that there's a that you're seeing the hope that we've got for dealing with this for all taking responsibility for our own health and uh, and responsibly using these kind of toxic technological tools that we're all so hooked on. Go ahead and leave me a comment. You can drop me a message on social media. Let me know what you think of all of this. I have already received some 
comments on my blog and on my articles on Medium with people that are uh, skeptical of the people that are skeptical of being skeptical of 5G and EMFs. I've received some comments from people that are saying, hey, it's just fine, man. But uh, of course, none of these people are looking at the science that is portrayed in this book. So I do hope that you will pick up the book and read it. It is really dense with a lot of really great information. I didn't mention nearly as many things as I wanted to as I didn't want this article to be 10,000 words long. So I do hope that you go and check out that book, EMF. I have got it linked in this article. I'm Jonathan, and I look forward to a continued conversation with you.